Well, good morning. I'm Eric. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Um, you guys probably saw both Dave and I with, with microphones on, and we're trying to figure out who's going to actually preach today, huh? I get to, so um, if you have your Bibles, oh, uh, and I'm excited about it, okay? So if you, have your, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to chapter uh, 2 of First John. First John chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 18 through 27 this morning, and, and um, we're in week 5 of an 11-week series called The Walk, where we're looking at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. We're, we're going through this entire book or letter, really, of First John and, uh, and looking at what it means to be a true follower of Christ. If you've missed any of the last four weeks, I would encourage you um, to go back to our website. Um, the address is in your program. And check out the podcast of those messages. Um, while there are valuable things that you can take away from each individual message uh, there's there's a, a, a an overarching theme throughout this letter that we're seeing, and, and uh, we don't want you to miss out on anything, okay? We don't want you to miss out on that bigger picture, and so um, be sure to check out any of the podcasts from the previous weeks that you may have missed. Just a quick recap for context's sake. Uh, it's widely accepted that the Apostle John wrote this letter in the latter years of his life, <clears throat> excuse me, and that he wrote it while he was living in Ephesus, uh, with the intention that the letter would be circulated to the churches in the area uh, around that he oversaw around Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. The, the primary audience of this letter was not unbelievers, but uh, those who had already heard the message of the gospel and had believed it and who had received the Holy Spirit. John wrote this letter to assure them that, they had, that what they had heard from the beginning was true and to assure them of their salvation, that that, that the truth that they were believing in is actually the truth that, that has saved them. He also wrote it to debunk the false claims of those who believed that they had this special anointing uh, from God apart from the Holy Spirit that gave them this special knowledge of God uh, that no one else had and therefore elevated them to a position of higher authority over the regular uh, followers of Christ, okay? And, and so... Um, this was sort of the beginnings of, of uh, a way of thinking called Gnosticism, and I talked about that in the first week. So if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. They were using this false authority to deceive those who were uh, weak and lead them astray. And, and in the passage that we're going to look at today, John offers his readers some uh, deception protection, if you will. Uh, he's going to give them three characteristics of, uh, that will help them recognize someone as an antichrist, and we'll talk about what that means. And he's going to remind them of the ultimate weapons that they've been given in the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. And so I want to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, and then pray, and then we'll take a, look, a closer look at this passage together. So you can follow along with me as I read this. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is, the, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist, 
He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it, as it has taught you, remain in him. There's a lot of stuff in here, and, uh, and hopefully it'll make sense when we're done, uh, to me too, okay? Um, Let's pray. God, thank you that you give the Holy Spirit to every believer, and thank you for giving us your word. I pray that through the Spirit you would use your word to illuminate truth and to bring assurance and encouragement and growth and conviction and salvation where each one is needed here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard someone say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it? It seems fairly... uh, common or a popular way of thinking in our culture today where uh, this where relativism reigns okay no absolute truth and where and where what's true seems to depend on individual beliefs instead of an unchangeable standard but is sincerity really what defines uh, something as true is sincerity really what is the underlying factor that makes something true if so then you should be able to apply it to not only religion, but to all other areas of life as well. I sincerely believe that the Chicago Bears are the greatest football team in the history of the NFL. Right? I'll make you sit in the back. Um, but their current record doesn't reflect that, does it? Right? I'm, I'm super glad that they have a bye today because I know that they're guaranteed not to lose, right? Um, I could also sincerely believe that if I, I planted a, a piece of bacon in the ground, that a glorious tree full of beautifully marbled meat strips of pork would sprout up, preferably two or three days later, but probably more like two or three months later, right? I could believe that with all my heart. Listen to me. It doesn't work. Okay? Don't waste the bacon. Um, now, those, those may seem like silly illustrations, but I, I think you're underestimating how much I really want the bacon thing to be true. Um, I mean, seriously, that would be amazing. Well, let, let's, let's think about something else, though. How about something that's not so goofy, okay? Um, what about something like this? The doctor who diagnoses an illness in her patient and sincerely believes that a particular uh, medication will help with that, and so she prescribes that medication to her patient. The patient goes and gets the medication. They take it, and uh, in two days, they develop this allergic reaction, and they are rushed to the emergency room because uh, they're allergic to this, this medication. It almost kills them, right? The doctor was sincere, but the medication was wrong. It takes more than sincerity to make something true. It's not the belief in something that makes it true. It's the nature of the thing itself. You may believe in a lie, but it's still a lie by nature. 
This is the big idea that's being addressed here in, in verses 18 through 27. So far in this letter from John, we've seen a contrast between light and darkness, between love and hatred, and now we're going to see this contrast between truth and error. It's, as believers, we can't walk simply or only by light and love. We must also walk in truth. In verse 18, John says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. What does that mean? When he says that this is the last hour, John is referring to the same thing that the Bible mentions elsewhere as the last days or the last times or the later times. Um, What John's describing here is not a duration of time, but a, a type, a kind of time. It's an undisclosed amount of time between Christ's initial coming uh, to die for our sins and then uh, his return to, uh, to bring everything into order. And it's characterized by increasing opposition to the message of Christ that's been preached from the beginning. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. John recognizes that that they are in the last hour by noting what's happening around him as he writes this letter. And what he's pointing out is nothing new to his readers. It's something that they were taught from the beginning. He says, as you have heard. And so this is not a brand new thing that he's saying. He's not teaching them anything new, but simply reminding them of what they already know. Now, John doesn't know exactly how long this last hour will go on, but he knows that it's here because of the false teachings that are so prevalent amongst the churches that he's writing to. Now, obviously, Jesus hasn't returned yet. And that doesn't mean, though, that John uh, was sincere but wrong. That doesn't mean that he was wrong about what he was saying. He wasn't believing in a lie. He was uh, stating a truth that hasn't been fully completed yet. There's still more to come. It's still truth but it hasn't been fully completed yet. We are still in the last hour today. False teachers are still as prevalent here, if not even more so today than they were in John's day. 2 Peter 3 says that in the last days there will be scoffers who mock the promised return of Christ because it hasn't happened yet. People will say, where is Jesus? It didn't happen in John's lifetime, and it may not happen in our lifetime, But it will happen because Jesus said it would. And until he returns, we will be in the last days or the last hour or whatever you want to call it. And we will continue to see increased lawlessness and increased false teachings that oppose the true message of Christ. And because we know this, it's vital that we know and believe the truth, that we are able to discern truth from error so that we can recognize the lies when they come our way, because they will come our way. John uses the term antichrist twice here in verse 18. This term is found nowhere else in the New Testament except in John's first and second letters. And uh, many scholars credit him with coining the term. The Greek prefix anti or anti, when added to someone's name or title, can have two different meanings. It can mean uh, against or It can mean instead of. And so the Antichrist, the singular that John refers to the first time in verse 18, uh, is referring to the one who is yet to come as the final world ruler under the power of Satan, 
who will seek to oppose and replace Christ, who will seek to be against and instead of Christ. This is the one whom John's readers have learned about from the beginning. They, they know this teaching. Uh, John also mentions antichrists, plural, and says that they have already come. In chapter 4, he says that the spirit of the antichrist is in the world already. He knows that even though the antichrist himself has not yet arrived, there are many who have come and who oppose or uh, replace the true teachings about Christ with false teachings of their own. They themselves may not be the Antichrist, but they are definitely Antichrist. As John warns his readers uh, here in, about these Antichrists, surely he's thinking back to the similar warnings that he heard uh, Jesus give as they sat together with Peter and James and Andrew on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Jesus warned them that false Christs and false prophets would come in his name claiming to be him and performing signs and miracles uh, and, and that they would deceive many. And so you can find that conversation in Mark chapter 13 and I'd encourage you to read that this week. And as we go through this, uh, something really as I studied this, this passage uh, that, that just reminded me this week was that John says a lot of similar things that Jesus does. That's because he spent a lot of time with Jesus. He's passing on the teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to hear him say things that are very reminiscent, that, that echo the words of Christ. And he has to be thinking about these encounters that he had with Jesus as he writes these things to his readers. And, and the things that Jesus assured him about, he's now assuring about uh, to, to the readers. And so uh, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this. Um. So we know, according to this, that there are many antichrists among us. But how do we identify them? In verse 19, we see the first characteristic of antichrists. They depart from the fellowship. They depart from the fellowship. John says that they went out from us, meaning that they had originally been a part of his church community. Uh, they weren't from the outside in. They, they, uh, they were from the inside and they went out. Um, they, they were part of his church community, but they eventually left. This, this doesn't mean that they changed churches or, or moved away. And so if someone has stopped coming to your community group, don't run out on Facebook and post a warning about them being some kind of antichrist, okay? There's probably a different reason. Um, talk to them first. And uh, uh, the people that John is talking about didn't just leave the church, though. They left the faith. And, and they left the fellowship. By, and, and by doing that, they showed their true colors uh, by leaving, they revealed that they never truly repented and believed in the message of Christ in the first place. They never actually had faith to begin with. And John's saying, because they left, now we know. One of the evidences of a true faith in Christ is a desire to be with the people of God. Do you enjoy being together with the body of believers or do you avoid it as often as possible? Earlier in, in this series, Pastor Dave mentioned uh, three categories of tests that show up throughout this, the course of, of John's letter uh, that we can use to examine ourselves and see whether or not we're walking as Jesus walked. Those three categories are um, theological or doctrinal, uh, moral, and relational. And by leaving the church community, these antichrists failed the doctrinal test of endurance. 
Uh, and you could even say they failed the, a relational test, that they didn't really love their, uh, their brothers. Walking away from the faith is obvious evidence of faith that wasn't genuine to begin with. A true believer continues in faith along with other believers. This is endurance. This is what the Bible talks about. Uh, Dave has just talked about this already, uh, of abiding okay, or remaining. Um, in Matthew 24, we see another account of the same conversation that I just mentioned in Mark 13. And as Jesus is warning his disciples about the many false Christs and false prophets that they'll encounter, he says this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13. It says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, he's not saying here that we have to work to keep our salvation. We can't earn our uh, way to the cross. We can't earn our salvation to begin with. We can't earn it or we can't work to keep it either. And uh, that's Ephesians chapter 2. John, in John 10, Jesus says that anyone who comes to him in faith is secure and no one can snatch them out of his hand. If you have a true faith in Christ this morning, that faith is secure for eternity. You don't have to work to keep it. The one who endures to the end won't at that point find salvation. Instead, the one who endures to the end will reveal that salvation has taken place and taken root. In their heart. This is why John says in 1 John 2.19 that if those uh, antichrists had really belonged to the body of believers, they would have stayed with them and enjoyed loving fellowship forever. They didn't leave because they lost their faith. They left because they never had it to begin with. Their love grew cold and they left. In the parable of the four soils, these would be uh, the rocky soil. And for more on that, you can check out Matthew chapter 13. As I mentioned earlier, these antichrists about whom John is writing believed that they had this special anointing from God apart from the Holy Spirit that gave them special knowledge of God that no one else had. And they believed that that special knowledge elevated them to a position of authority over uh, the regular believers. John combats this heresy by um, reminding his readers that they, in fact, are the ones that have the true anointing from God that results in the knowledge of the truth. And that anointing is the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. One of the things that the Antichrist were claiming was that John's readers didn't know the full truth. Uh, John quickly reassures his readers that he disagrees wholeheartedly with that assessment. He tells his readers in verse 21 that he's writing to them not because they don't know the truth, but because they do know the truth. And because no lie comes from the truth. If you're a genuine believer, then the Holy Spirit in you won't lead you into a lie. Instead, the Spirit will confirm in your mind and in your heart the truth that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God in the flesh who came and lived a perfect life that we could never live and died a perfect death, sacrificial death on the cross for our sins and was raised three days later to, signi- uh, excuse me, to signify God's acceptance of that sacrifice on our behalf. In verse 22, we see the second characteristic of the Antichrist, of an Antichrist. They deny the faith. 
So they depart from the fellowship. They deny the faith. John actually defines what an antichrist is in this verse. He says an antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. An antichrist is antichrist, right? Uh, the antichrist John was writing about were claiming to know God while remaining in an ongoing denial about Jesus. That The, the verb tense there that John uses uh, when he says denies that Jesus is the Christ in the Greek there, it indicates the, an ongoing action as opposed to one that's completed. They didn't just deny him once, they keep doing it. And so they claim to know God, but they're remaining in an ongoing denial about Jesus. But John reminds his readers that he himself uh, once heard Jesus say that Jesus and the Father are one. To acknowledge the Son is to acknowledge the Father, and to deny one is to deny both. So even though the Antichrists were claiming to acknowledge the Father, John called them liars because they were also denying the Son. The key question in life that everyone must answer is this, who is Jesus Christ? Was he a good man? Was he a wise teacher? Maybe a holy prophet? Or was he God? Is he God? Come in the flesh. Now anyone can say that Jesus is God come in the flesh, but that doesn't necessarily reveal that salvation has taken place in his or her life. Even the demons confess that Jesus was the Holy One of God in Mark chapter 1, verses, verse 24, but that didn't save them. A genuine believer then will not only believe the truth that Jesus is the Christ, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, as John says earlier in chapter 2, but that believer then will orient his life around the truth and live according to it. It will encompass his, not just his way of thinking, but his way of life. This is another doctrinal test that serves as a marker to determine whether or not you're a true follower of Christ. Are you living your life according to the truth of who Jesus is? Or do you claim to know God while you remain in denial that Jesus is the Christ? Your answer to that has eternal significant consequences. In verse 24, John reminds his readers to hold on to the message that they've heard from the beginning. Look, the gospel doesn't change, and it never will. It's the unchangeable standard that forms the belief system of every true believer in Christ. The gospel that they have heard from the beginning is the one that centers on Jesus as being the Son of God, come in the flesh to suffer and die for their sins, and who rose again from the grave three days later. And if that message remains in them, then they will remain in the fellowship with the Son and the Father because they are not, they're not denying either one. And in verse 35, John reminds his readers that fellowship with both the Father and the Son leads to eternal life. Again, John is echoing the words that he once heard Jesus himself say. In John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for, the, for God's wrath remains on him. And in chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. As followers of Christ, we've been given the true teachings about Christ through the word of God. This is a great weapon in the arsenal of every 
believer. The Bible acts as a filter that we can use to compare what we hear with the unchangeable truth and see if it lines up. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be raging skeptics and distrustful of everyone that teaches us something about God. Acts 17.11 describes how the Bereans once received uh, or, or eagerly received the message that Paul brought them, and yet at the same time, they examined the Scriptures daily to see if what he said was true. They loved Paul. They loved to have him come and speak to them and teach them, but they still knew that he was just a man. And he wasn't the final authority. God's word is. They weren't skeptical of him. They loved him. They listened intently on what he had to say. But they knew that he was capable of making a mistake because he was human. And so even more intently, they searched the word to make sure that what they were getting was accurate information. Listen. No pastor, no teacher, no commentary, no study notes no relative, no friend. Nothing is, is a substitute for your own daily examination of the Scriptures. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit who will open your eyes to the truth in Scripture because He wrote it. He inspired it. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God work together to give you the true message of Jesus Christ. If you need a Bible, if that's what's stopping you, then we'd love to give you one for free. You can get it back at the Guest Connection Center. If you don't know where to start, then uh, we have an answer for that, too. There's a reading plan for you this week in your um, program. It gives you something to read for every day of this week. And, in fact, it's giving you to read what we're, we're talking about. And so you can, you can read along and, and compare. Um, if you feel like you have to be a Bible scholar to get anything out of it, then I'd encourage you to pray Psalm 119.18. Make that your daily prayer. That's also in your program. You can find that there. It says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's my prayer. Every time I open my, my Bible, God, would you just help me to see the wonderful things here? And literally every time, even my wife will tell you, I have to be careful where I'm at reading because I find myself going, whoa. Look. This is a treasure full of wonderful things. We're missing out if we're not digging into this. Part of our role as pastors here is not just to teach you content, but to equip you to grow in your faith and knowledge of the Son of God and to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so if you need help getting on track, with reading the Word and, and understanding the role that the Holy Spirit has to play in your life. We would love to talk to you more about that. So now we're at the last characteristic of an Antichrist. They depart the fellowship. They deny the faith. And they deceive followers. They offer a counterfeit message contrary to God's word, and they try to lead others astray with it. For the first time in his letter, uh, here in verse 26, John moves past simply alluding to the false teachings. Uh, we've, we've seen that woven in and out as he assures the, the, the readers of their salvation and their faith. He's also at the same time addressing the, the false teachings that are going on, sort of indirectly. Now, 
here in verse 26, he moves past that and he, he specifically talks about those who are leading them astray. He specifically talks about the false teachers themselves. John wants his readers to be aware of those among them who are trying to deceive them and lead them away from the truth. John finishes this section with something he briefly touched on in verse 20. The anointing of the Holy Spirit given by Jesus to all true believers. He says that in light of the attempts of the Antichrists to lead his readers astray, the Holy Spirit remains in them. He's assuring them of this. And because the Holy Spirit remains in them, John says that they don't need anyone to teach them. In saying this, he isn't implying that we don't need human teachers uh, because we have the Holy Spirit. The Bible is clear that, that God has given teachers uh, among other leaders to the church to equip them. Instead, John is reminding his readers that the basic things concerning salvation come from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. He says that the anointing of the Holy Spirit from Jesus is real. It's not fake like the anointing that the Antichrists have uh, claimed to have. And that this anointing teaches them all things relating to Jesus as the Christ, God's Son, come in the flesh. Again, John is echoing the words he once heard from Jesus. John 16, 13, Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 17th century theologian John Owen gives this beautiful description uh, of the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit as believers in Christ. And it's, it's a long quote. I, I put it up there so you can read along, or maybe you just want to close your eyes. If that's distracting, you can listen to this. But I want you to see this picture of the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives in us. He says, The Holy Spirit dwelling in us gives guidance and direction Fundamentally, habitually, he enlightens our minds, gives give us eyes, understanding, shines into us, translates us from darkness into marvelous light, whereby we are able to see our way, to know our paths, and to discern the things of God. He gives a new light and understanding, whereby in general we are enabled to discern, comprehend, and receive spiritual things. There is more required to the receiving, entertaining, embracing a particular truth and, rejo- and rejecting of what is contrary unto it than a habitual illumination. This also is the work of the Spirit that dwells in us. He puts upon every truth a new glory, marvelous things, making and rendering it desirable to the soul. Strength comes as well as light by the pouring out of the Spirit on us. Strength for the receiving and practice of all his gracious discoveries to us. Also, from this indwelling of the Spirit, we have supportment. Our hearts are very ready to sink and fail under our trials. Indeed, a little thing will cause us to do so. Flesh and heart and all that is within us are soon ready to fail. The Spirit helpeth, bears up that infirmity which is ready to make us go double. How often should we be overborne with our burdens? Did not the Holy, did not the Spirit put under His power to bear them and support us? He is a Spirit of grace. He is a Spirit of holiness. He is a Spirit of joy and consolation. He is the High and Holy One who dwells in eternity, and He hath chosen to inhabit with me also. If you're a follower of Christ, then you've been given the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. 
and to lead you into all truth. You also have the word of God, and these two things work together to protect you against the deceptive lies, lies and the false teachings of the enemy. The Spirit and the Word will always point you toward Christ. They will never oppose. They will never replace. There is no substitution for either in your life. As followers of Christ, we must walk in light and in love and in truth. John ends verse 27 with a command for his readers. Just as the Holy Spirit has taught you to do, remain in Christ. Pass the test of endurance and show your faith to be true. Who is Jesus Christ? You can answer that question sincerely and still be wrong. If you don't know the answer to that question or if you have a different answer than uh, what we've talked about here today, I, I want to invite you to put your trust in Him as the Son of God who came in the flesh and suffered and died on the cross for your sins and my sins and rose from the grave to give you and me eternal life. If you do that this morning, man, I would love for you to come talk to me or Dave. Uh, or if you want to talk more about what that means, come talk to one of us. Come talk to an elder or a member of the prayer team that will be up here after the service or anyone in here who has confessed the truth of Christ in their own lives. Don't be deceived or led away by a lie or by a liar. Such a person is the Antichrist, John says. And there are many in our culture today. This is how we know that we are in the last hour. That should give us hope that Jesus is coming. Amen? Put your hope in Christ. Know that what he promises will come true. And trust the Holy Spirit and his word to guide you into all truth. Remain in Jesus so that when he returns, as he said he would, you will receive the reward of eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Thank you that you've given us your word that we might know you that we would be led into truth. I pray for those in here or who might listen to the podcast later, God, that, that don't know you yet, that maybe are sincerely believe that they know you, God, but they're denying Jesus. pray that you would turn their hearts to you and I pray that you would help them to see Jesus for who he truly is the only Savior. And that they would surrender to him as Lord of their life and live uh, in according uh, to the commands that you've given us in your word. So that in the end, when we stand, that it will be revealed that salvation has taken place in our lives. I'm thankful, God, that we don't have to question that now, that we can, we can know that we know that we know that we are eternally secure in you if we've put our trust in you. And I pray that you would encourage, challenge, strengthen, convict, and save us this morning. 
as we need it. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Meet somebody new before you leave.